0: So, just to review from last time, what were we discussing that Missions is? Well, specifically, what is is Missions? Is Missions uh, clean water overseas? Is Missions soup kitchens? Is Missions, what is Missions? Okay, with the goal of seeing what happened. Okay, church is planted, right, and discipleship would be a key description of what's going on in that process. So, uh, if anyone is interested on in having some further discussion on this question of whether missions is a separate or a related function to discipleship, I'd be glad to uh, talk about that a little bit more, if anyone wants to discuss that a little bit more, or we can move on to our last topic. Anyone have any further Well, I guess what the the context of what we were talking about last week and maybe I'll uh maybe I'll just draw some of this back up on the board just so we remember what we were discussing. So we have this idea of people being saved and then discipled and then reproducing. In my mind the difference between what we might say we're doing at our church and what we're doing at missions, in missions would simply be, this is in Royal Oak, and this is in the world at large. But this same process is supposed to be taking place in both locations. So, the question is, one of the questions that we were kind of going back and forth on is whether we have this idea of church and then missions alongside of it or whether missions really belongs under the subject of church. Traditionally, by traditionally I mean in the last, I don't know, 50 years at least, those have kind of been seen as two separate things. My point would be that they're the same thing, the only difference is Location.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's my question. I think Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to twenty, because and because it is a function of the local church, I think we need to at least discuss it in some degree under the topic of the church. Right now, certainly, it's a separate topic, and, uh, in fact, let me grab one of these that has the the uh, current versus the proposed order. So the proposed order, I had missions listed as a subset of church. Right now, it's its own heading. Yeah. Right. So what we're doing with the mission trying to Right. But hang on, go ahead.
1: So so that it's part of the church that's
0: not a separate institute on our on our list of what we want to present.
1: Okay. Sure. Okay, Bruce, what do you think?
0: Right? Yes, but every church should be.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I guess one of the one of the wrinkles or things to think about would be if missions oops, equals church planting, or if it equals this process here. Uh, if uh, Matthew twenty eight, I guess we could say eighteen to twenty. I think this is important for us to think about from the perspective of who do we uh, support as missionaries. For example, was it the jewels that we were just talking about that were saying that their mission agency was going to have them retire within the next five years? So uh, one of the questions we didn't explore last week was the question of the relationship between mission agencies and churches. We can come back to that in a minute. But as far as the criteria for who we would support as a missionary, I think it's important to have our definition of what missions is because then that affects who we're going to support. For example, I had someone, um, I've had a couple of different people, usually at least every couple of weeks, someone will call the church saying, I'm going to so and so, and I would like your support, and can we come and present our ministry? And sometimes the things that they have said that they're going to do give me the impression that they are planning to go and be a part of a church in a different place rather than be involved in making sure that this whole process is taking place. And in my mind, if someone says, I'm a Christian and I want to go be a Christian in a different country, I don't think we should take the money of the church and support them to do that. I mean, I'm not trying to be harsh or mean. I'm just saying, practically speaking, and so that's, that's some of the tension, because uh, certain fields, for example, like certain Muslim countries, this is a challenge. What does church look like? What does it look like to be involved in church? A related question is this idea of, and I think I had this up here last time, imported versus indigenous and essentially the question would be is our goal primarily to send americans to another country to be the leadership indefinitely in that place or is our goal potentially to send people who have particular training to get the ball rolling and then make sure that the churches there are reproducing themselves i think if we look at paul's ministry in acts which we'll continue to do for the next decent period of time. I think what we'll see is, Paul sort of got the ball rolling in different places, and then the gospel continued to spread outward from those churches. And I think that there's something to be said for a missionary starting a work, getting it going, starting another work, getting it going. There's an important element of training and all those sorts of things. And so sometimes the pattern has been, Let's take a guy, let's say his name is Joe, because we don't mean Joe's here. So Joe goes to, let's say, India, and Joe stays in India for, let's say, 50 years. And then when Joe retires, dies, something happens. What happens to the work? Sometimes it falls apart because it's all been about him. When it should be about moving things such that the people there, own the work, are moving the work forward, and all those sorts of things. Now, I will grant that that process takes different periods of time in different places. Um, But I think that if a missionary is at a church in a different country for, and and let's just take a, a ballpark number, let's say that a missionary is at a church in a different country for more than 10 years, particularly if that church is of a decent size and that church is not doing this, then it could be that their understanding of what churches are supposed to be doesn't include that last part, in which case I'm not sure that they're doing missions properly. Now, there are extenuating circumstances. Their church might not be at a point where they can start another church. There might be a number of factors going on and I'm not saying they would necessarily have to leave that church, but there's been examples of here's a church, and they have so many people, and then they go out and start another church. The first church keeps going, but now there's a new church. And then sometimes that church will start a church, or the first one will start some more. And, and that, I think, is the goal. And I think in the American church, we've sort of had this idea of here's this one, here's this one, here's this one, here's this one and they don't have any connection between each other, and they don't have any sense that they're supposed to be starting new ones, and we've been okay with that because as long as there's enough churches around, you know, we're happy with churches that are like, um, they're kind of like, is it a mule or a donkey? It grows up, but it never has any offspring, right? We're okay with churches that are like that, and that's not, I think, the biblical model. So, all that to say, if we see the function of the church as doing these three things, and if we see missions as church planting, then missions also involves doing these three things. Yes?
1: So then, based on how we're talking about the different levels... Yes. about what that looks like mm-hmm. with all the Sure.
0: Talking about who we would support who we you know,
1: what it's that or I wouldn't think so. Not in level one. I would think level one would just say we believe that a Testament church, or whatever, however, we want to label that, um seek to lead the lost to salvation, to disciple them, and to reproduce, and this can be you know, done. I think don't that's
0: really the exactly same thing question. that Paul's saying to a certain extent, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Right. So if we say, basically, some variation on missions is church planting in our statement on the church, then we can certainly develop that further. Um, but then we are clear out the gate what's um, what's going on in terms of what's involved with that. And this is important, I think, because if someone comes in and says, I want to be a part of the church, but I think my view of missions is it's all these other things, then I think that that is helpful and clarifying at the outset. And again, we're not, we should be putting these things in because they're important concepts in Scripture, not simply to exclude people who are going to cause problems in the church. I want to make that clear. But I think it can have both effects if we're, if we're clear on that at the outset. All right, so connected with this is this question of, uh, let me go ahead and erase this part right here. Just so we got some room to write. Connected with this, and this is somewhat more of a level two issue, but it's something to think about. And that is that question of who sends a missionary. And we're going to get into this in the book of Acts 13, if I remember right, because you have Paul and Barnabas being sent out, right? So basically the options are the church, churches, or in our day a mission board. So, Acts 13, who sent out Paul and Barnabas? One specific church. Okay, So that's the church at Antioch there, so that's important to keep in mind. That being said, we also see fairly shortly that Paul is supported not just by one church but by a network of churches. So uh, sometimes, so I think this is potentially where we get this concept of ascending church versus a supporting church, and I don't think that that's inherently a bad thing to recognize that there is perhaps one church to whom a missionary has primary accountability in terms of their ministry, but there is also a measure of accountability when there is support from other churches as well. So then there's the question of the mission board, and I didn't go and review the history on this, so I don't remember all the ins and outs of it, but... Is the mission board unbiblical? But is it extra-biblical? Yes. So, what has happened sometimes, and this is not a criticism of any one specific mission board, they've done a lot of good and helpful things, but uh, let's just take the, the jewels as an example. Their mission board says when you reach this age, you are retiring as a missionary. I don't know all the reasons for that rule. I don't, I don't know all the pros and cons of taking that approach, but that puts us in an interesting position of saying, if they decide to remain on the mission field past when the mission board is supporting them or sending them, if you will, What's our relationship with them? How does does that look? So that would be a practical example of, if we're one of the churches, maybe we're at this level, I believe that they were sent out from another church, so we'd be somewhere here in terms of support. If this is off the table, then is it acceptable for a church to continue to support a particular missionary? As long as they're doing this work, I don't see a reason for us necessarily to stop but that that creates this question of who does the missionary have ultimate responsibility or accountability to is it to the mission board is it to any of the churches that are supporting them is it to their sending church and so i think it's one of those things i'm not trying to give us a specific answer i just want to raise the topic for us to think about because i think it's important for us to think about do mission boards do good and helpful things i mean it's kind of like any organization when you have enough critical mass to to Uh, let's say you're going to do a group order for something. With one person, most people you're buying something from are kind of like, you're one person, why should I do anything special for you? If you get 10 people or 50 people, then they'll say, okay, we'll work with you on pricing for things and stuff like that. There are parallels between that and some of the things that a mission board is able to accomplish that an individual church may have more difficulty accomplishing. Or... Uh, even things like emergency medical care, transportation, some of those sorts of things. Theoretically, a mission board may have some specialization that practical reality, if one of our missionaries said, I need to get off the field right now, and they called me, I'd be at a little bit of a loss, right? I could find them an answer, but perhaps not as quickly as someone who has more experience, more resources. So I think mission boards do have a place, as long as we recognize that the ultimately accountability the ultimate accountability of the missionary is not to the mission board, because it's not a church, it's not a church, it's an extra-biblical, parachurch kind of organization. As long as we recognize the missionary's ultimate responsibility is to these, then I think that we can certainly work with mission boards. Um, yes, no more. Uh, ask that one more time are we currently or should we or, which are you asking um, I think it's something that we would need to have a serious conversation with them about um, because I think that we have and do support missionaries who have shown a track record of starting new churches And then I think we also potentially have supported missionaries who have shown a track record of staying at one place a long time and not necessarily going and starting new churches. Um, And there are tensions there because someone could be doing things that are really good things, but that I don't think would fall within the biblical definition of what missions is. Let's just take an example of something that would have like an emotional response for us, but that I think illustrates the point. Let's say one of our missionaries has a ministry that has an orphanage as part of the ministry. We would all say that caring for orphans is a good thing, right? But is having an orphanage missions? No. It could be connected with missions. It could be potentially an opportunity or a... A context in which certain relationships could be established but it in and of itself is not missions there was a church that I or a, a missionary that I was acquainted with who went to a place in Africa and the place in Africa requires any foreigners coming in to be doing something that helps the country overall so they began an orphanage because that helps the country overall but they began the orphanage to satisfy the requirement of the country to which they were going not because they saw it as their primary purpose for being there Does that mean they neglect it? No, but it means that that thing was funded differently than a missionary going over and being supported because it's not at the same level even though the two things are connected. So, to get back to answering your question, Norma, if someone came to us and said, I want to go and work at an orphanage or... um, Let's say there was a, a single lady, for example, that said, "I want to go and uh, I want to go and do schooling, like work at a school for missionary kids." I don't have any problem with someone doing that. I don't think it's missions, so I'd be hesitant about saying we're going to take you on for support for a hundred dollars a month because of that reason. Does that clarify? Does that answer your question a little bit. And again, it's not because. I think they're doing a terrible thing. It's not because I'm trying to be hateful or harsh towards someone. I'm just saying, is that missions? If it's not missions, then we should think about whether we're supporting someone as a missionary. And there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of examples of this. Um, one of the more well-known missionary biographies you'd read would probably be someone like Amy Carmichael. She had a great ministry helping to rescue girls who were being taken advantage of, in the nation as it stood at that time in it was India, right? But was she doing missions in terms of this definition? I don't think so. Uh, I mean even someone like, um, even someone like uh, David Livingston did missions work, I think, but also had a flavor of being like an explorer and a discoverer of new things and all that sort of thing. So some of the people that we've held up as heroes of of missions in the past had kind of a, a mixed role in some of these sorts of things. I don't say this to criticize them. I just say this to say let's have a very clear and specific understanding of what we as a church consider missions and what we're supporting as missions because if we can only support eight missionaries, let's make sure that they're missionaries that are doing these things that we feel are important for missionaries to do. Does that all make sense? Any any pushback on that? Any further thoughts? Paul?
1: to what they are Right. yeah Right
0: Right Right. And so I think that we have to allow room for people to be creative in those kinds of contexts, and connected with that. I think in some of those countries, I think, especially where there's already existing churches. I think the goal should be how can we help some of those existing churches be more biblical as opposed to simply let's start a bunch of other churches, particularly that are populated by expatriates or whoever else. Um, An example of this, I think a parallel would be uh, Priscilla and Aquila. There was a man named Apollos. He got saved. He was super eager. He was going around teaching and preaching preaching to people. And Cool and Priscilla took him aside and said, all right, you're doing great. You've got a lot of enthusiasm. Here's some things that you need further instruction on. I think that the role of a missionary in some countries is do more of that sort of thing. Here's this threat, prosperity, gospel, uh, whatever else. Let's correct that as opposed to saying, let's create your own church structure. Let's correct some of these errors. Let's help train. And again, then there's this whole tension of, is that sort of a colonial attitude. We're going to come in and conquer the the people in a particular place and, and impose our views on them and those sorts of things. I think we have to think about what Christianity looks like in each specific country. And I think we have to recognize that there is some give and take. Just because a particular American missionary has gone to seminary or has this particular background doesn't mean that they know everything about everything and they need to listen to the people who are already there in terms of, you know, a variety of things, yes, Paul. I
1: mm-hmm. let's say, a missionary's sole purpose was to go over to Africa, explore these churches that are prosperity churches, and teach them the true gospel. Yes. And go from church to church doing that. I consider that church planted. There's a church there, but it's not really a church. It's a native climate.
0: Right, so they would be focusing on this phase of what the church is supposed to do. And I think there's a place for that, potentially. Paul was focused on this, getting this started. Some people are focused on this. Some people are focused on, now let's work on trying to get the church doing this. I think someone could have a particular emphasis on one of these three things and still be connected with church planting and still be considered a missionary, which is a good point. So, all right. Um... I think we've covered all of the main topics on missions that I felt like we didn't wrap up from last week. Uh, Just as a review, we're all supposed to be involved in missions. Sometimes we think, I don't have to be involved in missions because I'm not going anywhere else. There's people who send, there's people who are sent. All of us have a responsibility to support through prayer, through giving, through all those other sorts of things. Which actually leads us into our next topic, which is finances, which is the last paragraph on your sheet. <laughs> All right, I think the question I asked you probably two weeks ago was, um, I'm going to do what I've been doing, which is take a picture of what I wrote up there so I can remember what we discussed before I erase some of it. but. With regards to finances, which level is giving? Okay. Yeah, I I guess I might modify one in in light of our discussion on missions to say if you don't believe these things, you are not part of, um, you're either not a Christian or you're not part of a biblical church. Um, And the reason that I would think that that caveat is helpful is because there's a few things we've talked about it being in one that theoretically there could be a difference of opinion on and you could still be a Christian, but I think you're not a biblical church and and again, I mean, it, it's a little bit of a tension there. They're not there's a little bit of question, should some of these get bumped up here? you know, some of those sorts of things. And that's that's the ongoing tension, I think. Uh, I would say it's probably not at this level because we see it as something that's fairly it, it's, I mean, you look at the early church, very shortly after the early church begins, you have people giving to meet various needs of the church body. And so, just following that example, it's more important than just, you have your idea, I have my idea, we'll just sort of keep going round and round about it, never do anything. So, I don't think it's this. Uh, Is it this or this? I think that, from the perspective of what Paul says in... Drawing a blank on the passage, but um, I think I've got it. In my notes here. Yes. Um, okay. So, what Paul said, like in First and Second Corinthians, and in Philippians. Um, Paul saw this as very important. It seems to be something that he taught the church as part of his initial set of things that he taught the churches. Um, And so all that to say, I think we could could go back and forth about whether it's here. I do think that... I have some tension with the way it's it's, uh, worded here. In... Uh, So, let's read through the paragraph. The method of giving to the work of the Lord is very clearly set out in the Scriptures. We believe that scriptural giving is one of the fundamentals of the faith. We believe that God's work should be carried on by the tithes and offerings of God's people, and no other methods should be used to solicit money. So, um, just to review some of these things, because I don't know who all was here on the Sunday nights when we were talking through uh, some of these topics... Malachi 3.10 is specifically talking about tithes and offerings that the Israelites did not give to God. And one of the points that I made when we were walking through some of these things was that the tithes and the offerings, there were closer parallels between tithes and offerings for the Israelites and something like property taxes today than there is between the sort of offerings that we would collect on a typical Sunday. And just to explain that a little bit further, um, the gifts that we see described in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the gifts that the people gave of their property and so forth in order to support those in the church who had needs were voluntary. The tithe was mandated. Um, that being said, it was still an expression of their obedience to God, and I think that that's where there, there's parallels. And so I think we just have to be we have to be clear that um, there's a difference between um, there's a difference between Malachi three ten and Acts the end of Acts two four five or even 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that there's a difference between those things. Paul, or Paul, Bob. I'm thinking Paul because I'm looking at 2 Corinthians. Yeah.
1: how I look at it. Do, we, is, do our works save us? No. But they are a product of our faith. Right. So, is giving to the church saving us? No. But it's a product of our faith. Yeah. So, I see it right up there right. as a very important thing because again, if nobody's giving then the church isn't in existence. But at the same time, is it possible for a church to stay around if everybody's not giving? So I, I would call it 1.5. Okay. So they, I would I say, can they be saved? <laughs> yes. Can they have, be in good fellowship with God? Probably like, not. Right. A exactly. Face, like, you know, I would agree. Through your work. Yeah. And yet, I would also say that, you know, if we do not have control of our temper, we're not in good fellowship with God, and I struggle with that. The point is, struggle with it, you're not happy with it. Correct.
0: I guess I can't really talk about it. Right. Right. So I guess some uh, some passages that I would like to see added to this section would be um, I'm going to argue that this is probably a level two from the simple perspective of you could have someone who's new to the faith knows nothing about the background of the church and is a part of the church as a member in good standing but needs instruction and start to start doing this now if you have somebody who's been a part of the church for a long time and they say I have no, no desire to give, no interest in supporting any of these sorts of things, then I think we'd have to have a conversation because either A, they've never been taught, or B, there's some unwillingness to submit to what God's saying here. So um, some of the verses I think that we should add in would be uh, 1 Timothy five seventeen to 18 And uh, let me turn and read those for you. says, Elders who rule well should be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For The scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. The laborer is worthy of his wages. So there's that type of idea. There's also the idea in uh, Galatians. And we went over all these passages, but I can't remember if I gave you a handout. I think I failed to do that. Uh, The one who is taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches him. And then a few other things. Do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. Galatians 6, 6 to 10. uh, Examples of supporting. So that would be supporting those who serve in the immediate context of the local church. Those who support in... uh, like missions-type work, church-planting-type work, Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.12, If others share the right over you, did we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things, so we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. I don't think that was an absolute binding thing for all time for all missionaries. Paul simply said, this is the choice that I've made. I have this right. I'm not availing myself of that right for the specific context in which I'm working so that there's no confusion. So, I don't think it's which is a good point, right, right, and I think um I think let's see here, second corinthians eleven eight and nine I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you, so that would be the the corollary there, yeah, so we should rob churches right um. And then connected with that would be Philippians uh four fifteen to eighteen. No church shared except you alone. You supported me. Um so the church at Philippi supported Paul. So that'd be along those same lines. So Philippians four, fifteen to eighteen. And then connected with that as well would be um 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, in what respect were you treated as inferior except that I did not become a burden to you? So that would be along the same lines of he didn't necessarily force the Corinthian church to support him, even though he had that right. Um, So what is the function of giving in the church? I think that it has... So it's difficult for us to think about this historically or outside of our context, because we're just familiar with, you have a church building, you have a full-time pastor, all of these sorts of things. I'm not arguing for you guys to stop supporting me as your pastor, and I don't think that what we're doing is unbiblical. I just think that there's a variety of options along the spectrum of what would be acceptable. So what are the things, here's the big question, what is the money of the church supposed to be used for? It's supposed to be used for advancing the church, these three things. It's supposed to be used for supporting those who serve. It's supposed to be used for so we could say advancing the gospel, supporting servants, helping the needy. Specifically those in the church. am not saying it can't extend beyond that, but this is what we see. So, this would be Acts 2, or 4, actually, end of Acts 4. This would be all those passages in Corinthians, etc. This would be uh, a function of some of these passages in, Cor- in Corinthians, as well as Matthew 28 18 to 20, in this respect that if we're going to advance the gospel, things have to be done to make that take place, and those things cost money, and so monies that come into the church ought to be prioritized to be seen that they're supporting these things going on. So, connected with those things, we have this question of building, we have this question of uh, let me just throw up a bunch of things then we can sort of walk through them and see what we think of them. Um, we have building, we have advertising, we have supplies, we have food, we have curriculum. these are not in any particular order. I'm just throwing up a bunch of things on here for us to think through. Is a building mandated in scripture? No. Since we have one, should we throw it away, say we're going to sell it, get rid of it, we're not going to... No, because part of an important thing that the church is supposed to be doing is assembling. And it is, it's certainly possible to assemble in a variety of places, whether that be homes, whether that be renting space from another place, whatever else. But when you have a place that is paid for, that you're just paying the taxes and the utilities on, It's a completely different scenario than all of the upkeep and and, and all of those sorts of things connected with setting up chairs every week, uh, coordinating schedules with another organization, all of those sorts of things. So, there's no biblical mandate to have a building, but it is a resource that we can use. It also is helpful because it, it provides a recognizable place for people to associate with the church, which is not the building, but which is the people. Along those lines... I think that we can, i got to work on getting the light fixed in the sign so that it's more recognizable, particularly at nights and things like that. I think it's helpful to let people know there's a church and the church gathers in this particular place because rightly or wrongly, that's what people outside the church uh, associate with church. And so connected with that, when we do different events, I think it's helpful for us to Do them to make people aware of where we gather, not because that's the ultimate focus, but because that's sort of a first step for them becoming connected with the people who are here. So the plant swap was not technically any of these three things, but it was a letting people around here know where we gather, which is where these things are theoretically taking place. So, that's in a little bit different category than hopefully the Christmas service is going to be actually more focused on this in the context of this. Does that make sense, the difference between the two things? I think they're both useful. I think doing something like the plant swap is a stepping stone to doing something like this, and then both can potentially be helpful. Advertising. Is there a biblical mandate to do advertising? No. Is it wrong to do advertising? Okay, okay, and what else? Anything else? The reason? How, where, yeah. How much it costs, that's a lot of the factor too. So if we're spending more on advertising than we are on supporting people who are advancing the gospel, we may have a sense of skewed priorities. Um, which is why I feel like having business cards and I need to work on the website part of it focusing on the website are two very low cost but relatively effective ways for us to connect with people. Um, I mean I think I've probably given out probably like 100 of those in the last few months just meeting with different people and you know they can throw it away they can do whatever but that cost us 20 bucks to send a mailer to a one mile radius is probably 1500 and so in terms of return on what we're getting for our money not to get too far into the weeds all right curriculum sunday school curriculum uh for children or for adults does that have a place sure i mean that would fit in here if it's done well right okay um what about different supplies paper uh, copy machine those sorts of things are those helpful useful is it bad to have yeah i mean it, it can support all these sorts of things my point is these things are subordinate to this, and sometimes these things become the focus. We've got this building. We've got these things. We've got to have this huge budget to support all of these things. And my, my goal would be to say, let's make sure we're doing this stuff well. And, you know, if we have to cut back, let's cut back on these things because they're far less important. I mean, I know, I know we're Baptists, so food maybe. That's probably up here at this level, but no, I'm just kidding. Is, fu- right. Is food a bad thing? No, I mean, there's the element of house to house and all that and taking meals together and that. There's a measure of fellowship around food that we see in the connection with the early church that was, I think, sometimes referring to the Lord's Supper and sometimes referring just to taking meals together, and those can be good times of interaction good times of discipleship and encouraging one another and all those sorts of things so bringing it back to our paragraph as we sort of wrap this up is the method of giving clearly set out in the scriptures here's my here's my response to that i think if we took out the words method of if we made it something like the need of giving i think the need is very clear I think the reason we get hung up on method is because sometimes we sort of combined everything from Abraham and Jacob to Israel to the church and sort of made this huge conglomerate and then we're like I don't know what I'm supposed to do does it fit in this category this category this category and how much and when and all of those sorts of things I think there's principles as we walked through on some Sunday nights a while back but I think the need of giving to the work of the Lord is set out I don't know if that's quite at a level one but I think because it's closely connected with this, I would be okay with having a statement that says the support of the church or is coming into the church are supposed to do these things. I think we could throw that in a level one statement of faith. Here's what we as a church believe is supposed to be happening in the church because the mission of the church is a pretty central thing in the New Testament. And so while theoretically someone could be saved and not have a clear understanding of all these sorts of things, I think they should at least have a tentative acceptance of these things to be a part of our church. Um, Scriptural giving is one of the fundamentals of the faith. In the sense of, do you need to be saved or, or do you need to give to the church in order to be saved, I don't think that we can say that. That being said, just because it's not the deity of Christ doesn't mean it's not important. And so that's where I think Bob's, you know, it's a 1.5. I mean, that's, that's the tension where we're at. And so, uh, so I think some of it comes down to how we phrase it here. Um, and then we believe that God's work should be carried on by the tithes and offerings of God's people and no other method should be used to solicit money. I think that that is a level two spilling into a level three kind of issue. From this perspective, I get, I get emails and phone calls. Do you want to do this fundraiser to help support your church? I have a little bit of a tension with that. I don't have a chapter and verse. I just have an uneasiness with saying, let's sort of have people in the community support the church that they're not a part of, because I think it potentially crosses the line that Paul was hesitant to cross and why he didn't have churches support him initially because he didn't want to give the wrong impression about what we're about. Because what is one of the wrong impressions people have of the church? You're greedy for money. We don't want to give that impression, so I'm hesitant on doing fundraiser stuff. Yes?
1: Back to sentence two. Yes? It said, we believe giving is a proof of true faith. Something simple. Yeah. Like that.
0: Sure. And I'll check some of these other uh, church statements, kind of see how they worded it, just out of for sake of interest, and then try to pull all those things together.
1: Yeah, the third thing is kind of like we don't play cards in the Lord's.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the first half of it. Yeah, I mean, the first half of it, I think, is good. The last half of it, I think, is getting down to, and we celebrate the Lord's supper once a month. You know it's more of a policy thing, it's more of a what we're comfortable with, you know, that sort of thing. So, again, I, I uh, when we're going through this, I'm trying to be very careful not to be critical of the people who drafted this originally. I'm just trying to help us think through where we're at right now, what's essential for true church versus false church, what's essential, essential for our church versus another denomination that might preach the gospel but implement things differently, and what's our, what are things in a category of we could legitimately have a difference of opinion and still fellowship and still have unity, but they are things that we should think about simply because we have a responsibility to understand God's Word. All right, let's close in prayer, and we'll get moving toward the service. Lord, we thank you for the good discussion. We pray that it will continue to be profitable, that you'll give us wisdom in all these things,